Well, good morning, church family, friends, guests, man. It's good to be together. Welcome to all of you watching online right now. Glad that you're with us. Hey, before we dive into our teaching time, um, we've had a pretty interesting week, wouldn't you say? Uh, that little thing called the election, and then all the stuff that's been going on since then. And, and uh, man, let's just pray for our nation before we start. So I just want to invite you to stand. Some of you are thinking, I just sat down. That's okay. Worshiping God is quite the aerobic exercise. Let's just stand. Can we just, can we just say a word of prayer for our nation together? Lord, Master, we come before you today, and God, uh, we are so grateful for who you are, and we're so grateful, God, that you reign supreme. And Lord, we're so grateful that our hope and our trust does not depend on who sits in a man-made chair, in a man-made office, in a man-made building. God, our hope and trust is the one who sits enthroned above the universe, who created all things. God, you are sovereign over all things. And so, God, we thank you for the trust and the hope uh, that we have in that. God, we know that right now our nation is experiencing uh, great uh, chaos, Lord. There's, there's, there's pockets of fear and hate. God, there's disunity, Lord. We know that there's a great polarization taking place in our nation right now, Lord God. And, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would put a hand of peace upon our nation. Lord God, would you give rest to those who are restless, Lord, would you give peace to those who have no peace, Lord, to those who are fearful, Lord? In the name of Jesus, would you bring comfort? God, we pray right now that the church who carries the hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus, Lord, we know that our hope is not in government, it's not in policies or politics, it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reconciliation between man and God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We know that's where true hope lies. Lord, may your bride, your body who carries that hope rise up right now, Lord. And God, may we see an opportunity where we can love like no one else can love because of Jesus. And God, that we can speak to the things going on in the people's heart because of who you've given us in Jesus and the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, Lord, and the power of your word. So God, help us to use this opportunity to love in such a way that it makes a difference, to, to help those who feel fearful and marginalized and, Lord, beaten up. God, help us as your followers uh, br bring a healing balm to the wounds of our nation. So God, help us to do that conversation by conversation, post by post, action by action, Lord. Uh, that's our heart. That's our prayer. So Lord Jesus, use your church and put your hand of peace upon our nation, we ask in Jesus' name. We all said. Amen. I just felt like we needed to pray a little bit before we dive into our teaching time. And uh, we are continuing today in our Living News series, week 10. It's been a great uh, 10 weeks of just growing as a follower of Jesus. We've been looking at this fruit of new life, these six characteristics that we believe uh, we will see ourselves as and develop in us as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. And so we've talked about being a beloved child. We've talked about being a self-feeder. We've talked about being a servant. Today we get to talk about being an investor. Today we're going to be talking about being an investor. And uh, what I want you to do is uh, get out your program for a second and open up to the note page, okay? So get out your program, open up the note page, uh, and if you have a pen around you, grab a pen. And if you have a device that you use for notes, if you're using our notes on, in the electronic format, I don't recommend you do this because it won't go well for you. But for the rest of us with a pen in our hand, what I want you to do is find that word investor in the notes, and I want you to take your pen and draw a vertical line right through the S, the vertical line right through the S. That turns that S into a what? Dollar sign. And when we talk about being an investor, we're talking about seeing ourselves as ones who have been given resources by God to leverage for the interest of God. And so, yes, as an investor, we invest our time. 
to do the works of God. Yes, as an investor, we invest our talents, our abilities, like we talked about last week, our spiritual gifts. But we can't dodge the fact that when we talk about being an investor, it means that we use our money to the interest of God as well. And so today we're going to hit that specific part of this element of being an investor. And our attitude toward money and our behavior uh, with money reveals what our hearts truly value. And if we genuinely love Christ, then the way we use our money will reflect that our hearts love Christ. And we will start to value first what God values most. And so we are called to intentionally, strategically, faithfully leverage the resources that God has given us and invest them in the efforts that connect people with Jesus Christ through word and deed. And so uh, it's, it's going to be a little awkward for some of us. It can be awkward to talk about money. Uh, it can be awkward for a couple reasons. One, today maybe you're a guest or you brought a guest and you're going, my nightmare just happened. <laughs> the day I showed up to church, they're talking about money. The day I brought my friend, they're talking about money. And here we go. And so that could be awkward, but we're not apologizing for talking about money because if we really understand money, we understand that money is one of the biggest competitors in our hearts with God. It really is. And so we don't apologize for it. Now, we don't talk about it all the time. So if you are here today as a guest, rest assured, we don't talk about money all the time, but it's a spiritual thing to talk about money. And so it's our hope today that you leave here today understanding better about the connection between money and our heart and God. That's our desire for you today. Now, it might be awkward because some of you are super faithful in this area. They're like, oh, we're going to be talking about money. Like, this is a strong area for me. I, I, I give faithfully. I give over and above. I'm very active in using my resources for God. So maybe I can just take a rain check and go catch a you know, coffee right now. No. Um, our hope for you is that you feel encouraged. Sometimes when we come and we open up God's Word and we teach from God's Word, sometimes God brings great conviction upon us and we feel a little bit beat up sometimes. There's other times when we need to feel affirmed and we need to feel grateful and encouraged. And so if this is an area of strength for you today, like our hope for you today is that you'll feel encouraged and that you'll feel grateful for this work of God in your life and that you'll feel thankful for those things. And so, um, you know, feel encouraged and motivated to continue. Maybe it's going to be awkward today for you because this is an area of struggle in your life. Maybe when it comes to the topic of money and resources, you know that you're holding out, you know that you're keeping God at a distance from this you know, precious resource that you think you need to have and protect, and there's, there's guilt there. Here's the deal. We don't want any guilt. Conviction is welcome. It's different. But guilt is not welcome because God's not going to guilt you, but he's going to convict you in the areas that he wants us to grow. And so uh, we want you today to feel uh, motivated and encouraged and to understand a little bit more of a pathway that will help you grow in this area of your followership of Jesus. Another reason it could be awkward today is because of the election. I mean, it could feel very, um, you know, disconnected to talk about money on a day where we just had such a huge week as a nation, but maybe that's exactly one of the things that we should be talking about. I've been thinking about this. Uh, no one's stopping our freedom to give. No one's stopping our freedom to give or to invest in doing good. And so because the church carries the hope of the world, the gospel, we don't trust in education, we don't trust in government, we don't trust in politics and policies. So being reminded today is good for us that we get to vote with how we use our money. And so no one's stopping us from investing our money in the things that uh, help poor, uh, those who are poor, those who are marginalized, those who are endangered. Like we get to make a difference with our money and maybe we need to do so even more in a world that's so divided and riddled with um, pain and chaos. And so we have a freedom, we can even argue, argue a responsibility 
to give to God's work, especially at a time like this. So uh, really, talking about money can be awkward, but maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe it should be regular, not unusual. Maybe it needs to be a welcome family conversation that's regularly part of our interaction rather than this taboo topic that's really awkward because ultimately it's part of who we are and it says a lot about our heart. See, the truth about giving is that it's a heart issue, not a money issue. Giving is a heart issue, not a money issue. At the heart of the issue of giving is the issue of a giving heart. That's what we need to understand today, and that's what Jesus taught us. Jesus talked a lot about money. Like for those people who struggle with, with churches ever bringing up money, like they don't understand the, t- the teachings of Jesus very well because Jesus talked about money a lot, and he always had a way of helping us know how to correct our perspective and our practices related to money and how it's tied to our heart. Basically this, the heart goes where the money flows, right? Isn't that true? If we want to know where our hearts are, then just follow the path. Follow the trail of dollar signs to see where our hearts really are. And so I want to look at a passage together today where we see Jesus really connect the topic of money uh, to this understanding of spiritual investment and to the heart. So open up your Bibles uh, uh, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Or fire up your Bible apps. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. 19 through 24. Pretty common passage on Scripture, but we're going to try to unpack it a little bit today together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Here's what we see Jesus teach. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, what's the last word? Money. And so Jesus really lays it out here, connecting the understanding of money to the heart, and that giving is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. And what I think I see here is three specific cautions for our heart. I think Jesus gives us three specific cautions for our heart here, and let's look at those together. One caution he gives us for our heart that will help us be more of a heavenly-minded investor is this. Don't let your heart be misguided. Don't let your heart be misguided. When you go back and look at verses like 19 through you know, 21, he's talking about not laying up treasures on uh, on earth. He's talking about laying up treasures in heaven. He's talking about where your treasure is, where your heart will be. He's talking about your heart needing to be a certain place. And so if our hearts are supposed to be in a certain posture, if our hearts are supposed to be in a certain position, then that means they can get off that position. They can be misguided to a different place. And Jesus is trying to prevent us from seeing that. Now, uh, the word treasure here is interesting. The word tre- treasure is the word thesaros in Greek, which means to lay up. It's where we get the word thesaurus. Because if you go to an online thesaurus, there you will find laid up many words, right? We go to an online thesaurus to try to find words that are similar or different than the one that we're thinking of. And because we know there's going to be a vast amount of words there. So the word here, um, thesaurus, which means laid up, it means stockpile. It means to store. It means to amass. It means a treasury. 
And so Jesus isn't saying here that um, wealth is bad, that money is bad, that uh, possessions are bad, or wealth is evil. He isn't saying any of that. He's not condemning having houses, and he's not condemning having cars and nice things and having good clothes. He's not, he's not coming down on any of that at all. But he is saying, don't wrap your heart around the temporary that won't last. It's not wise. It's not wise and it's not good for your heart. And so uh, we don't want to attach our hearts to these things that are temporary, and we don't want to live a life that's defined by accumulating the temporary. That, that's really the American way, right, that we've been taught. You know, live a life that's about accumulating, amassing the temporary. Then Jesus is saying, that's not what I've called you to. I read this little story uh, this week that really kind of helped put it in perspective. It's a story about Mr. and Mrs. Thing, all right? Mr. and Mrs. Thing are, very successful, are a very successful couple. At least that's the verdict of people who tend to measure success by things. There's Mr. Thing sitting down on a luxurious and very expensive thing, almost hidden by a large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit at, things to cook on, things to eat from, all shiny and new things. Things, things, and more things. Then there's Mrs. Things, among all her things. Things to clean with, things to wash with, things to clean and things to wash. Things to amuse, things to give pleasure, things to watch, things to play. Things for hot summers, things for cold winters. Things for the big thing in which they live. Things on four wheels, things on two wheels. Things to put on top of the four wheels, things to pull behind the four wheels. Things to add to the interior of the thing on four wheels. Things, things, things. And there in the middle are Mr. and Mrs. Things, smiling, pleased with themselves, thinking of more things to add to their collection of things. That is not the American way, right? Is that not the American way? That's what we've been taught. Amass, store up, acquire as much stuff as you can, as many things as you can. And the teaching of Jesus is contrary to that. And we need to listen to the teaching of Jesus. Like this is what I love about the teaching of our Savior. He was always teaching us a better way right? He was always teaching us a better way. Look, it's better to be last than to be first. It's better to be a servant than one who served. It's better to be one who's full of forgiveness, not bitterness. It's better to give than to receive. And he's saying it's better to store up treasures in heaven than to store up treasures on earth. He's trying to teach us a better way in this teaching. And he's trying to remind us that all that we amass, all that we collect, it wastes away. Moth eats, you know, moths eat it, rust destroys it. We get the rust thing here, right? You know, once that, once that salt and slush hit the road, like a lot of us are fighting rust on our cars. Moth things, I don't know if you've ever had a battle with a moth, you know? I know that uh, years ago I had a buddy who invited me to do the memorial service for his grandmother that had passed away. I hadn't worn my suit in a while. I pulled my suit out. I tell you what, one moth invited all his buddy and they had a party. And my suit looked like a piece of Swiss cheese, man. It was just like, I had holes in my legs, like, and I had no time to replace it, so I just tried to hide behind the big pulpit, you know? I had all these holes in my pants, you know? And if you've ever had something stolen, or if you've ever lost things to a fire or a flood, like, you understand. Like, there's a, all of a sudden an instant dose of reality. Like, I have all this stuff, and now it's gone. Or I have all this stuff, and now it's destroyed. It can be taken from me. So why would God endorse a life that's about wrapping the heart around stuff. Not that it's bad to have stuff, but wrapping our hearts around it. And our hearts are trying to find fulfillment in the fleeting and temporary, rather than that which is eternal and has greater value. You know, um, 
on top of the, the whole like trying to fight to keep it here on earth is a realization that once we die, nothing goes with us, right? I mean, Psalm uh, 49, verses 16 and 17 says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. I mean, think about this for a second. Here we live in Cleveland, Ohio. We've got, if you go to Lakeview Cemetery, you will find the grave of one of the richest men that's ever lived, right? John D. Rockefeller. And a story is going around that shortly after he died, someone asked this accountant, well, how much did he leave behind? And they said, everything. (laughs) Some of you are still thinking about that. (laughs) He left behind everything. Nothing went with him. I don't know, isn't there kind of a sadness to think that we can spend so much of our time and energy and resources on stuff that we'll never take with us? We all have closets and, and rooms full of things that we haven't seen in years. We, don't, and we, just, we, just, we just hoard this stuff. And somehow our hearts go, this is good. And Jesus is going, I don't know if that's good for your heart. In fact, I'm going to teach you it's not. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven. Randy Alcorn is a pastor and author. He wrote this great tiny little book. It's called The Treasure Principle. Uh, we've got some at the Info Center if you're curious on this topic. And in this book, he said this. He says, you can't take it with you but you can send it on ahead. <laughs> you can send it on ahead. What he's talking about is investing in eternal things. And so uh, when we try to amass things on earth, we're being misguided and misdirected from something God really wants us to do, which is to store up things in heaven. Well, how do we do that? How, how do we store up things in heaven? Well, it uh, includes, but it's not limited to, a tithing. You know, tithing is the practice where uh, God gives us everything, and we take 10% of that and we give it back to him as a thank you. We give it back to him as a, basically a sign that we trust him. And that we believe that he can do with 80 to 90% of our income what we think we need 100% for. And so it's a matter of trusting God. Uh, we do that by tithing. We do that by blessing others with material needs. We do that by using our money to help care for the poor, the marginalized, the endangered. We do that when we help lead people to Christ. We store up treasure in heaven when we use our resources to help other people lead people to Christ. Uh, We're storing up treasures in heaven when we equip people to go lead others or equip people who are going to equip people to go lead others to Christ. And so uh, on and on and on, it's all about the heavenly investment. And so if our hearts love Jesus, then our money will fund efforts to help other people come to know Jesus through word and through deed. And that's how we invest and uh, help store up treasure in heaven. And so it means that when we find ourselves wanting to lay up our uh, treasures in heaven, we become more passionate about making a disciple for Jesus than a dollar for ourselves. And so uh, I think of Colossians 3, chapter 1 through 2, where the Apostle Paul hit this head on. He said, put on the new self, if then you've been raised with Christ, and seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. When we come to faith in Christ... He transforms us, doesn't he? He transforms us into new people. And when we come to Christ, he transforms our heart and and the way we think and the way we act. And so uh, we get to live new, which means when we're transformed in Christ, not only do we uh, start to live new, we start to spend new. We think of money in a new way. We think of money differently than when we didn't know Christ. And it takes on a whole new understanding. And so uh, in our Living New book that we're studying, there's a couple great quotes from a pastor author named David Platt. I think are really insightful about what we're talking about. One is this. He said, Jesus isn't calling people away from treasure. He's calling them to treasure. 
What a different mindset. Like Jesus isn't trying to take something away from us. He's saying there's something better than what you're experiencing. And so he's trying to call us to a treasure. He goes on and says, Jesus put before us a choice. We can spend our resources on short-term pleasures that we cannot keep, or we can sacrifice resources for long-term treasures that we'll never lose. So this is the whole understanding that we don't want our hearts to be misguided because giving is not a money issue. It's a heart issue. We don't want our heart to be in the wrong place. So uh, let's wrap our hearts around the things of heaven. And let's encourage one another to do that. Let's challenge one another to do that. Let's, let's grow in our ability to be an investor for the things that has an interest to God. So Jesus cautions us, don't have your heart misguided. He also cautions us this way. He says, don't let your heart be blinded. Don't let your heart be blinded. When, you, when you're going through this passage, it's really interesting. He's talking about not storing up treasures for, you know, on, on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. And he's talking about your heart. And then all of a sudden he's talking about eyeballs and light. And you're like, what's going on here, right? It's almost like those couple verses in the middle don't fit. Let's look at them again. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's with the eye thing? What's with light and darkness in this whole language? Uh, have you ever heard the expression, the evil eye? Some of you are like, yeah, I got an evil eye for my spouse this morning on the way to church, you know? We, we understand that evil eye means that someone's kind of squinting at you and glaring at you. Do you know where that originates from, that expression? It's a Jewish term. It's a Jewish term because the Jews saw uh, the, the eye as a, as a window to the soul and it either received light or closed off light. And so in the Jewish context, which Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd, so they totally got this, um, he's basically saying that a good eye refers to having good will. It's being joyful when others prosper or when they're experiencing good. And so a good eye is generous. But a bad eye or evil eye, you know, we've heard evil eye, but the bad eye is the opposite. When the eye is bad, it refers to being envious and displeased when other people prosper. And it finds joy when others suffer and lose out. So if you know your, your Bible history, Cain had a bad eye toward Abel. Is what we see here. And so there was that kind of contempt for those who prosper. And so uh, those with bad eyes were known to be greedy and tight-fisted with their money. They were to be stingy. And so simply put, those with good eyes were generous and those with bad eyes were greedy. And so how does the heart become blinded like that? How does the heart become um, bad? How is the heart then closed off from that light from the good eye? Well, this language really kind of goes to the concept of the eye being that window to the body, and the body receives light from the eye to which the body's guided and directed. And so if our eyes are good, then they're open, and they're flooding the body with light and direction, and it's focused on God, and, and it's illuminated and by the light of Christ and the light of the gospel, and the result is vision, spiritual vision that's clear and it's brilliant, and it's lucid, and it's Christ-like, and it has a, a spiritual vision that wants to do what God wants to do. That, that's the good eye. And so uh, it can become bad, though. How does it become bad? It becomes bad just like our windows become bad, or just like our glasses become bad, or our, our physical eyes become bad. Now, for those of you who are fellow glasses, you know, those who wear glasses, um, you hate when your glasses get smudged and dirty and you can't see through them. Uh, I've been known to do this because someone did it to me, and I, I'm notorious every now and then for being mischievous, to walk up to someone and go, oh, you've got something on your glasses, and you lick your thumb, and you go like this, and just smear and now a lot of you are going to go do that, and people are going to hate on you, and then I'm guilty of that. So, But anyways, we hate when our vision gets smeared by something. When we start to become materialistic, when we start to become consumeristic, 
when we start to become obsessed with wanting more money and, and identifying status and meaning and getting fulfillment by our bank account, guess what's happening? Smudge. That's what's making the eye bad. And what happens is God has designed us to have a spiritual farsightedness, to see the things of heaven, the things that please him in the heavenly realms. But what happens is when we become so consumed with the dollar, so consumed with money to please ourselves, we now resort, we kind of revert back to this very nearsightedness. It's all about right here. And Jesus is going, that, that's developing a bad eye. You now have a cataract. You now have spurt, spiritually blurry vision. And, and, and you can't see well, and it's going to affect your heart. And so we need to protect our heart from being blinded. We need to protect our heart from becoming led by this bad eye. And, and that, that, this is what that sounds like. When we develop that bad eye with money, it sounds like this. Well, God just wants my money. The church just wants my money. And unfortunately, there are churches that have been very abusive in this area, and there's understanding there. But God doesn't need our money. <laughs> he wants our heart. And so uh, a bad eye says, well, I have to tithe. Where a good eye says, I get to tithe. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a whole different type of mindset. And the Apostle Paul speaks to this tension, this tug of war with money. In 1 Timothy 6.10, most of you have probably heard this verse or a distorted quote of this verse, which is, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, some of you have heard this verse quoted improperly. You've heard it quoted this way. Money is the root of all evil, right? Is that what the verse says? No, it says the love of money. See, the difference between using money and loving money is that money is a tool. It's a resource. It, it reveals what's inside. But when we take our heart and we wrap it around money, and our eye becomes bad, and we become consumed like Gollum for the ring, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's when all of a sudden... We're in a bad place, seeing it differently. And so it's not about what we have. It's about the attitude about what we have. It's about the motive for what we have that's really at the heart of this issue. Because giving is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. So we have to protect our heavenly-minded vision. How do you do that? One, talk to God about it. Now just talk to the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on. He knows about the tug of war. Say, God, open the eyes of my heart. Open, open my hands. Help me become more generous. Protect my eyesight from going this way. Lord, help me to see the way you see. Like, just, just really unpack this whole thing before God and see what he'll do. I'm going to warn you, if you go to God saying, God, help me in this area, he's going to want to try to challenge you to take action to grow in the area. You can't say, God, give me patience and think that God's not going to test your patience, Right? Some of you have prayed for patience and want to know why you're like stuck in traffic and the long lines in stores and, you know, why this person's down in your life that is driving you nuts. And it's like God said, well, you asked, you know. If you're going to ask for a healthier financial mindset, God's going to go, okay, let's see what you're willing to let go of. Let's see what happens when we test that theory. And he's going to test you. And so we have to be willing to discipline our hearts and our minds to value the, the eternal the, the treasures of heaven, and then learn to release things to go for them. Like, honestly, a couple things that some of you are going to need to do today as application. Some of you, you're going to need to start tithing or get up to the tithe or increase your tithing. Some of you are going to leave here and go, I just need to bless somebody, like, really big, just, be, just because I know that I'm capable of doing so, that I'm not a total mess in my heart in this area. Or some of you might walk out here going, you know, I'm, I'm going to give something to someone that, that's of great value to me just to show that that thing doesn't own me. I'm not its slave. 
Instead, it's just a, it's a resource. I want to bless someone else, and if I can bless someone else in such a way that Christ can get the glory, then I'm laying up treasure in heaven. And that, that's the kind of action that's going to come from saying, God, change my eyesight. And so Jesus cautioned us. He said, don't let your heart be misguided. Don't let your eyes be blinded. And then also he said, don't let your heart be divided. Don't let your heart be divided. Look at Matthew 6, 24. Jesus puts an exclamation point on this portion of Scripture. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, last week we talked about being a servant. We talked about being a faithful servant of God. We talked about acknowledging God as our master. Well, here's the reality. You can't serve more than one master. Some of you are, or some of you have, tried to work two full-time jobs, right? Man, that is a tough, tough gig. You've got two bosses, two different expectations. You've got competing expectations. You've got competing time frames. You're, you're trying to please both of these masters, and eventually resentment for one and favoritism for another sets in. Or This is what happens when you're stuck between two people you're trying to serve. And Jesus is saying, you can't serve two masters. And if you're trying to make money one of your masters, you have to pick. You can't serve money and try to serve Christ. You're going to love one and hate the other. And it's so interesting because when you look at this understanding, as we grow as people who are investors in the things of God, we will either learn that we um, love God and use money, or we will learn that we love money and then try to use God. It's really what happens when we try to serve two masters. And so our hearts have been designed to have one master, one ruler over our heart. And so it's an exercise, it's a painful exercise in futility to try to serve more than one master. And Jesus calls us uh, to the carpet on this and says, you really need to have the Lord as your master. And so when we get this, when we understand this, we start to realize that it's what God wants for us. It's not what God's trying to take from us. And really, God is a much better master than money. Can anyone say amen to that? <laughs> and money has empty promises. If you have more of me, then you'll be happy, and you'll be fulfilled, and you'll be content. And you go talk to the millionaires and billionaires that have mostly whatever they wanted, and yet there's something still missing. And money just leaves us feeling wanting, no matter how much you have. And so we have to learn that we, it starts with giving a surrendering a mastery to our heart. If you're watching online or you're listening right here, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, this is really the bigger issue for you. Like long before you really need to be looking at your resources of your life, you need to be looking at the condition of your soul, and you need to be looking at who owns your heart. Because before we come into relationship with Christ, we try to own our heart or we give our heart to the world, or we try to give our heart to these other people, and, and the world's our master, or we try to be our master, we let these other people be our masters, and Jesus would say to you, you, you can't have two masters, but I'm inviting you to let me be your master. And you start to understand God's love for you, you start to understand the, the, the beauty and the significance of the cross, that Jesus Christ died on that cross for your sins that separate you from God, that when he was put in that grave, that three days later he rose from that grave, to demonstrate victory and authority over sin and the world and whatever addiction and bondage and thing is plaguing your life, and that he's inviting you into relationship, but you have to come to a place of surrender and say, Jesus, come into my life. Now, that's the first step for you. And for those of us who've done that, Jesus is now saying, if you've done that, it's got to play out in all these areas of your life, including how you view money and how you use money. This is a spiritual thing. 
money is not, or giving is not a money issue, it's a heart issue, and he's trying to cut to the chase on this. And so we can't have a divided heart. We need to pick our master. You know, in Joshua chapter 24, this great leader of Israel stood before the people, and he basically said, choose, right? He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. He says, you can go worship the, the fake gods of your father, or you can choose to serve God. He says, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I think a lot of us today, that's where we're at. We're at this threshold of decision where Jesus is saying, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And so you can't walk out of here confused on the matter. You've got to learn to say, I'm either going to serve Christ, which means everything that God gives me, my money, my house, my car, my clothes, my food, my possessions, my money, it's, it's the Lord's, and he wants me to leverage it for his kingdom. We walk out of here closing our heart, shutting our eyes, getting the bad eye, and going, oh, there's another church asking for money. There's another person that's using the Bible to talk about something that's clearly not in there. And I'm going, well, clearly it is in there. And you walk out of here going, no, I, I'm going to try to wrap my heart around this stuff, and it will provide. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying, if that's where you're at, I'm just encouraging you, don't go there. Because it's a painful lesson. It's a painful lesson. And Jesus has something better for you. Choose this day whom you will serve. So, whom will you serve? Uh, the, big, the big idea I want you guys to really wrap your heart around today is this. Giving is a heart issue, not a money issue. So, as, as we think about this today, what does it say about your heart? The way you think of money and use money. What does it say about uh, who's master in your life? You know, I, I shared earlier that th this could be awkward. This could be an awkward topic. I've got to tell you, to be really transparent, it's been an awkward topic for me all week because I've been studying this thing going, okay, on the, on the, on the, on the uh, week that I'm going to be teaching on investor, on the week that I'm going to be talking about laying up treasures in heaven, it's the week that I'm also working on a fixer-upper house. I'm going to put money in a house. I'm going, am I contradicting myself? And some of you already know our story, but basically, you know, we live in North Royalton. Um, but uh, just because of the dynamics of our life and some needs that we saw in, in our children, we thought, you know what, we're going we're gonna to try out a Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy for our middle schoolers and just see, you know, if that's going to meet some needs in their life. And it's been going well. And so we thought, we got to shave some time off our drive. We've got to get a little bit closer. And I've got two girls in one bedroom, and one's turning 13, and one's turning 7, and I want, the, I want them to live through the experience. It'd be nice to get another room, you know, for those girls. And so we've been looking at some needs that would benefit our family. Not needed, but just benefit our family. And so uh, we sold our house, and we're bought in Brexville, and we're moving next weekend. And it's like we're working on this fixed-rupper, and I'm going, is this a contradiction in my life? And then I just started, I really gave that to the Lord. And here's, here's really what the Lord um, fleshed out my spirit. The, the thing that prompted the decision was something that was going to benefit my kids because of the dynamics in our family. And I realized, God's called me to make disciples. But the primary disciples Jesus has called me to make are my children. And so if I've got to make a decision that's going to help me make better disciples in my family, then that's laying up treasures in heaven. Because if I make a thousand disciples outside the walls of my home and fail at the disciples inside the walls of my home, I failed. And it's the same for all of us. You go on mission trips, man, you try to serve God with everything, you cut big checks, but you know what? The, the people that we're called to, to invest in primarily in our home, we fail to, to teach in the ways of the Lord. Now, what they do with it's up to them. But if we fail to do what we're called to do, then there's failure there. I'm going, you know what? I, I can't do that. This is going to provide an environment that's going to benefit my kids, so I'm okay with that. 
And then on top of that, because we're all called to be a life house, right? We have new life in Christ, which means that wherever we live, that new life in Christ is supposed to affect and be felt by our most immediate neighbors, right? We're all called to be a life house. I'm going, I get to demonstrate to the people that I've been living next to for five years that I love them even though I don't live next to them anymore. That I really did actually care for them, not just because I live next to them. And so I get a chance to keep those relationships that I've been investing in for five years. And now God's relocating us to a new neighborhood with new neighbors. And this might totally shock you, but I've been really nosy with my new neighbors, you know? Man, I'm learning names, I'm learning stories, because I really believe God wants to use our family. And I already see like some situations I'm going, I think I know exactly why God wants us in this neighborhood. I mean, even yesterday I had a great conversation with a neighbor. Next thing I know, my daughter's getting invited to a birthday party. Like, we don't even live there yet. Like, we don't even know these people yet. And like, God's opening up doors to connect. Why? Because I believe God wants us there to love and serve those people and pray for those people because it's one of the ways I can lay up treasures in heaven. And so look at your home, look at where you live, look at your money, look at your possessions, look at your decisions. I mean, the, the, the point I'm making is I had to sift my decision before the Lord to say, am I laying up treasures on earth or am I laying up treasures in heaven? And he gave me confirmation in my heart. No, you are laying up treasures in heaven. This, this house doesn't own you. See, see, God owns that house, not me. And so it needs to be used for his glory. God owns your house. God owns your car. God owns your wallet, not you. And the sooner we realize that, the more joy we get, the more fulfillment we get, and the healthier our heart gets. And so really, there's three applications I think that need to be made today as we talk about this topic. One, if you don't know Christ as Savior, start there. Like, you can, you, can, you can give money to the church like it's a charity. You can go give money to a charity. That'll give you a temporary little, like, oh, that felt good. But until you know Christ in here, and that's where it's at. You've got to give your life to Christ. And if today you give your life to Christ, let us know. There's a program with a, with a, with a uh, section there. You can just say, give my life to Christ today. Turn it in the baskets come around. We want to follow up with you and tell you more about how you can experience the love and relationship with Jesus. For those of us who know Jesus, here's, here's some ways that we can apply what we just talked about. One is um, we can increase our tithe. You know, some of us are not tithing. Some of us aren't giving. You know, we can do that. And while I'm talking about that, I just got to say a monstrous, huge thank you. Like, we met yesterday as a leadership team, an elder team, and a stewardship team to look over next year's budget. And the whole time, I'm just thinking, God has given us incredible people. Like, because of you, and because you're laying up treasures in heaven, people in Northeast Ohio are coming to Christ. People around the globe are coming to Christ because of your faithfulness. And so thank you for your faithfulness. I know we can do more. We're excited in the next couple months. We're going to tell you about how we can ramp it up and get rid of our debt. And there'll be some things coming online about that. But um, for some of us, we go, like, we got to step up and trust God a little bit more in this area and exercise more discipline. The other is increase our generous living and giving. Like, just in general life, just the way we live and the way we give, just start to live with more open hands with the people that we encounter by, you know, providing for needs that God puts right in front of us and realizing he did that on purpose for this moment. He positioned me to leverage this resource to make a difference for the kingdom. I'm going to do that. And we just have to learn how to increase our generous living and giving in general. So uh, I'm excited that we're all going to be continue to grow spiritually and I'm excited to grow as an investor. We can't leave that off. And investing doesn't just mean time. It doesn't just mean talent. It also means the treasure, treasure that we should lay up for heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And God, together we come before you with a huge thank you. Lord, we acknowledge that everything we have is from your hand. God, nothing that we have, no house, car, possession, clothing, food item, is ever given by ourselves. Lord, you've given the ability to labor. You've given the ability to work. God, you've set it up in such a way 
God, that those things flow to us because of your goodness. And so, God, forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we lay those things up for earthly um, treasure and try to fulfill our heart with things that are fading and temporary. Lord, we ask instead, Jesus, that you would do whatever kind of heart repair that needs to happen. Help our hearts not to be misguided. Help our hearts not to be blinded. Help our hearts not to be divided, Lord. And let that be evidenced with what we do with the treasure you've given us here on earth. So God, thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that is taking that step of faith today to trust you as Savior, God, that you meet them in that place of need and show them the new life that they experience through Christ. So God, we love you. We praise you. We're grateful for all you give to us. May we start to exercise greater generosity and give it back for your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen.